Hello, folks. Welcome to the fifth episode of Myth, the first and last word, a bi-weekly program examining the myths of our world. I'm Echo Kane, an artist, musician, storyteller, ecologist, and educator interested in the sociocultural and historical interactions found within spirituality, myth, and religion. Twice a week, we attempt to better make sense of our rapidly changing and confusing modern world with the help of both ancient and contemporaneous myths from a wide variety of cultures. Today, we'll be looking at a very humorous myth from the Suchigo Oyat, or the Brule Sioux, as the French called them. So, join me on a journey into the past and the present, a voyage of the soul to understand itself, where we find both the first written word and the mystery of the last word entwined through time. Welcome to the world of myth. The teller of this myth is the medicine man John Fire Lame Deer. It was told originally in 1969 at Winter Rosebud Reservation, South Dakota, and it was recorded by Richard Erdos. The story is the dogs hold an election, and it's all about democracy. It's all about the different ways in which people bring their views into something. And so to truly understand this myth, like all myths, we need to do a short history lesson about these people. So. The French called this tribe the Brule Sioux, which stood for burnt thighs people. This likely referred to practices of burning brush and areas of grassland to ensure productivity for the bison uh, that came through those regions. Because the Suchigo Oyat nowadays are found primarily in South Dakota, though they were spread out in Nebraska and both Dakotas and Wyoming during the most conflict with Europeans. So all of the modern communities can be found on only three different reservations. These include Rosebud, Lower Brule, and Pine Ridge. They are one of the seven member tribes of the Lakota Nation and were historically found during the 1700s and 1800s in the upper Mississippi region that we call Minnesota today. There was a lot of conflict, though, with the Ojibwa people, and there was also the, th the threat of European immigrants slowly expanding into their territory. And this led the Lakota peoples as a whole, or at least most of them, to move west to the Dakotas, Wyoming, and Nebraska before really connecting that heavily with European immigrants. When westward expansion, mostly by English Americans by this point, led to conflict in 1854, there was relatively little influence other than with fur traders and these kinds of people, which is why the French name, prior to this point. And it's clear that the Suchigo Oyat did not want white people or European immigrants, whatever you want to call these people, to enter their space, their territory. And so in 1854, at Fort Laramie, Wyoming, 19 U.S. soldiers were killed in a battle with the Sushigo Oyat, and the U.S. turned around and decided to 
do what their ancestors had done to the people of Northeastern America and Central America, well, not Central America, but Central North America, which was a massacre because that is what the European immigrants did over and over again. For this paltry number of U.S. soldiers, military men, the U.S. went and massacred a hundred civilians and kidnapped the chief. Now, some of those civilians might have been warriors, but nonetheless, this was a massacre. This was not equal, clearly. 19 U.S. soldiers to 100 people of a Suchigo Oyat. In 1866 and 1867, Red Cloud, the chief who came into power, I believe, after the kidnapping of this chief at Fort Laramie, started the Red Cloud War, which was successful enough to cause the U.S. to sign a treaty ceding the Black Hills of South Dakota to the Sioux in perpetuity. Now, I'm sure you can think now and say, well, what's in the Black Hills currently? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, unfortunately, is Mount Rushmore, <laughs> which quite literally has the chiseled images, the chiseled visages of... George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, white men, in it. So clearly, this treaty did not hold. And sure enough, by the 1870s, the treaty was already broken by miners and prospectors that came to the region because they thought there was gold in them, thar hills. There was probably some gold, but it didn't give them the right to go there. Well, this wouldn't do. So Chief Sitting Bull led a campaign against the expansion and killed a total of 300 troops and General Custer in 1876. After a series of successful battles, the Sioux broke apart. In 1890, there was a massacre at Wounded Knee, which killed a total of 150 to 370 Sioux. The U.S. has a tendency of turning around and just killing right back, no matter what you do. There were enough people from the East that were willing to come and fight that, well... The Suchigo Yacht really had no way of keeping this treaty real for them. And so they eventually were ceded three reservations, although the main one is the Rosebud Reservation, which I mentioned previously, which consists of 20 communities, actually, which is quite large. Nonetheless, not as large as the territory that they had before. I, I do want to mention briefly that this is not the end of the history of the Suchigo Yacht. Of course, they have lived, have lived in these communities and maintained all sorts of things in these communities, education, uh, their ecology, hunting practices, rituals, spirituality, stories. All of these things are kept alive to the modern day by the people of the Sushigo Oyat. However, and this is the unfortunate part, is that a lot of these stories are lost because of trauma, right? And we're going to talk about this a lot, and I wanted to mention it here because this history of a Tsuchigo Oyat is really painful. I mean, you can feel it. You can feel all the conflict. At least I do. When I hear massacre, massacre, fighting, massacre, fighting, right? I just imagine a people just fighting for their lives for years and years and what that does to generations because this is not the end of this colonization. A lot of people from these reservations, or simply members of the tribe that weren't living on the reservation, got put 
in boarding schools, what were called Indian boarding schools. Places like the Carlisle School were intended to basically brainwash Native Americans, Native American kids, out of their original way of life. This killed a lot of ideas and stories and ways of being that we will never get back. What the Sushigo Oyat have right now is important, and I don't want to diminish that. But we also can't forget that for every piece of knowledge that we retain to the modern day, there are 10 pieces of knowledge that are lost. And this goes for every culture. This is not just indigenous cultures. Well, we are all from an indigenous culture at one time or another, right? There, there are people, and we'll talk about this in a few episodes, but there are people that were native, in a way, to Scotland. There's a, we're not really native to any of these places. We're native to Africa. <laughs> but, of course, we find ourselves being really, becoming really attached to the lands we live on and that we thrive in or don't thrive in. Some people live in some really desolate, difficult places to live. Everyone is indigenous. Everyone has that history of having a place. And so let's not forget that when we talk about different communities. All right, let's get into the myth right now. The dogs hold an election. much of the white man's elections. Whoever wins, we Indians always lose. Well, we have a little story about elections. Once, a long time ago, the dogs were trying to elect a president. So one of them got up in the big dog convention and said, I nominate the bulldog for president. He's strong. He can fight. But he can't run, said another dog. What good is a fighter who can't run? He won't catch anybody. Then another got up and said, I nominate the greyhound because he sure can run. But the other dogs cried, Nah, he can run all right, but he can't fight. When he catches up with somebody, what happens then? He gets the hell beaten out of him. That's what. So all he's good for is running away. Then... An ugly little mutt jumped up and said, I nominate the dog for president who smells good underneath his tail. And immediately an equally ugly mutt jumped up and yelled, I second the motion. At once all the dogs started sniffing underneath each other's tails. A big chorus went up. Phew, he doesn't smell good under his tail. No, neither does this one. He's no presidential timber. No, he's no good either. This one sure isn't the people's choice. Wow, this ain't my candidate. When you go out for a walk, just watch the dogs. They're still sniffing underneath each other's tails. They're looking for a good leader, and they still haven't found him. <laughs> oh, this myth is brilliant. Brilliant little myth. There's very few myths in the modern day that you read and you laugh and you say, oh my goodness, that's so true. <laughs> because our elections in America are ridiculous. They are smelling under, under tails. <laughs> they are trying to find someone who, who isn't, 
isn't stinking like bullshit. I mean, in this case, dog shit, but same idea. <laughs> it, it centers white man's democracies and white man's elections as being of this variety. This myth doesn't really comment about other forms of democracy, whatever that might mean. In this case, I'm sure that the Sushigo Yacht have a much more complex understanding of what an election means, and this is intending to, for members of that tribe, be funny, right? If I can find it funny as an American who does not have any heritage from the Sushigo Yacht, I'm sure that the people of the Sushigo Yacht find this just utterly hilarious. And this is missing from our, like, collective understanding of myth. That it's funny. It's humorous. Let's laugh. Let's laugh at the way the world is. And not enough storytellers are, are doing this. I don't do this. I, I'm really bad at humor. I try my hardest to be funny sometimes, but sometimes I just, I just have no want. And a lot of times when I'm writing, I'm, I'm thinking of very scary things. I'm thinking about what it means for the world, and it just doesn't come to mind to, to make it funny. But in a way, I think that that humor, it makes the myth easier to understand. It's perhaps not as direct. I mean, it is very direct, but it's not as direct as, as saying the way the white man's elections does not function because it is primarily a presentationalist lens. I mean, think about it. 1969, I think right around this time was the first live presidential debate. From my remembrance, I think it was Nixon and whoever he was going up against, or maybe it was Kennedy. It was one or the other, so definitely around this time. And it was a time when U.S. politics was changing. I mean, it had always kind of been presentational. And when I say presentational, I mean entertainment. It's no wonder that the most popular U.S. president, really, it, like historically, that we remember as being popular, is Andrew Jackson, who killed a lot of Native Americans, but also... He was he he made a bunch of propaganda basically that was saying oh how how he was uh, a real rough and tumble guy and all all of this that and the other so America has been like that but at in the 1960s and 1970s it became even more like that I mean and we've only seen this increase this has only gotten worse <laughs> because then there's suddenly this the, the debates. And the debates were real big for a while. The debates aren't even all that important nowadays. You know, most people still tune into the debates and they're still very important. But most people have made up their minds now by the time the debate even happens because we have presentation, entertainment effectively, about elected officials and political candidates long, long years sometimes before the actual election happens. This is how Trump was able to get into office. I mean, he, he, has, he had no political background. It was all presentationalism. It was all entertainment. It was all exactly what John Fire Lame Deer talks about here. It is sniffing under a tail. People smelled him and they said, ah, he seems to have less dog shit. Now, I don't personally agree. I think he's pretty dog shit. <laughs> but I think a lot of people, they, they hear that. They hear all of these different words, these different ideas that they put forth. And if they seem genuine, a person says, ah, they don't smell like shit. 
or they don't smell too much like shit, so we'll elect that person and not the other person who seems a little less genuine. And this is very bad for a lot of different people who want to change things because sometimes the issues in society, the issues in economy, the issues in the world are not easy to explain. And sometimes it's hard to come off as genuine when you're describing a very complex set of ideas to people. And surely, in a, in a culture like the Suchigo Oyat, where at least from my understanding there is a lot of democracy, and I mean this is true of most indigenous cultures where there might be a leader, but there is, generally speaking, a sort of council or coming together of people to choose what's going on, if, especially if it affects everybody. I mean, that's how every culture should, should act, really, in my opinion. Ultimately, this myth is hilarious. And I want to bring some more attention to myths that are just funny, that make you say, oh, yeah, that is like a little thing that I've never noticed before. Like this, uh, the idea of a presentational-only understanding of elections. And I mean, even, even, even the, the dogs at the beginning who say, oh, we want a powerful one, we want one that can run fast. Those things are not that great either. They didn't say, we want the one that can lead us well. They don't say that they want somebody who is smart or wise or, or trying, to, trying to change things. <laughs> they say, power, ability to run. What would that be similar to? I guess wiliness in a way. Um, cleverness is, is running fast. It's similar in nature. Oh, we want, and then, the, you know, of course, the main one is just, Perfume, essentially. A smell. A feeling. A vibe. Oh, we want the one with vibes on it. <laughs> oh, geez. And, I mean, this is a problem for white culture and just cultures that have democracies in general. We have a tendency of picking people who are popular, right? We have that problem. And it's something that we need to deal with. We need to stop smelling each other's tails. <laughs> We need to look at each other in the face and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? We need to bark at each other and say, what are you doing? What's going on here? Is this right? I don't know if we should be sniffing each other's tails so much. <laughs> You've been listening to Myth, the first and last word with Echo Kane. Thank you for tuning in. You can support the show and my work by continuing to listen to further episodes following the show wherever you get your podcasts, and engaging in discussion within the comments. Along with this podcast, I also compose, record, and produce my own music, which you can find on Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you stream music. If you are interested in my written or visual work, you can find my full artist profile on www.echocane.com. That's www.echocain.com. Next episode, we'll be exploring the Miche culture and a myth concerning a flood. Not too dissimilar from Atrahasis, but certainly quite a bit different. Again, if you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions for the show, please compose one and only one email to theechocane at gmail.com. That's theechocane at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and now, for the last word. Today's last word is... 
democracy. <laughs>